If there is any gospel story that should make you just fall in love with Jesus, it's this one. He's the total package. I mean, he is that all the time because he's God. Okay, but he's tough and he's tender. He's merciful and he's challenging. He's smart and empathetic. It's everything. He covers every base. So here's the situation. The Pharisees try to trap him, catch Jesus on the horns of a dilemma, and they're playing a very high-stakes game, turning the law of Moses into a weapon, and the stakes are this woman's life, her very life, and that's the game they're playing, and it is a game to them. Jesus appears caught because either he disregards the law of Moses and they can accuse him of that, or he disregards mercy, and they can accuse him of that. And it looks like they have him. So what does Jesus do? First, what does he do? Not what does he say? They come to him. This big scene, you can imagine how chaotic it must have been. This woman terrified for her life, these people dragging her, probably kicking and screaming, and they come to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Meet him head on? No. Jesus sees this mob coming, and immediately he bends down because he's not playing their game. And he starts drawing on the ground. Now, some people will say, that Jesus was writing the sins of those who were holding the stones in the ground? I don't think so. I think he was doodling. I think he absolutely wanted them to realize he had nothing to do with their stupid, silly, yet ultimately serious game. So he stays down there for a long time time because the gospel says they continued to ask him and then finally he stands up and he drops a one-liner that is perfect whoever is without sin be the first to cast the stone and then immediately he bends back down and doodles in the dirt the perfect response okay and we're going to go into that in more depth but here's this and I want you to know this I want you to hear this Jesus he's the Lord who both defends the sinner and condemns sin he defends the sinner and condemns sin so he defends this woman but he does not excuse her and that's true for us too See, Jesus defends us, but he does not excuse our sinfulness. Now, why is that? Because Jesus deals in reality. He is ultimate reality because he's God. And so there's two realities at play. That means the reality of his love for us, which leads him to defend us, meets the reality of our sinfulness, which we are not excused from. No matter how, many, how much we want to say it, no matter how much we wish it were true, we're not excused from our sins. 
And we are saved precisely when his love meets our sinfulness. St. John Paul II had a great line. He said, in the midst of a sinful world, God's love manifests itself precisely as mercy. In the midst of a sinful world, God's love manifests itself precisely as mercy. When his love meets our sinfulness, it looks like mercy to defend us but not excuse us. Here's three moves that Jesus does for this woman. He defends her, he forgives her, and he challenges her. And that's true for us as well. So first he defends her. It's this great one-liner. Let the one with no sin cast the first stone. And then he goes back to drawing in the dirt. See, the only one who could cast a stone wouldn't. Jesus could have condemned her as God. He could have, but he wouldn't. Can we pray about that truth tonight, please? Can we please beg the Lord for a deeper understanding of his love for us? That he could condemn every single person here, but he won't because he loves us. It's great to pray with as Lent finishes up how deep the Father's love for us, how deep the Son's love for us, how deep the Holy Spirit's love for us. God doesn't condemn. He seeks to save. And so what happens? He says that great line, and then one by one, they all went away. That's our Lord. He's the one who dismisses the accusers and yet still invites into holiness. The devil in the scriptures is called the accuser. How many accusations are made against you in the spiritual life? How many accusations do you make against yourself? And Jesus is all about the business of dismissing the accusers and still inviting us into holiness. And that holiness comes through a personal encounter with him. See, he dismisses everyone. One by one, they all go away. And then he was left alone with the woman before him. There's that great moment when it's just her and God when no one else's opinion matters, no one else's judgment of her matters, it's just her and Jesus. St. Augustine has a great line. He says, only two remained, the miserable one and mercy himself. Miserie et misericordia. Miserie, misery. The miserable one. That's her, that's us. Et misericordiae, mercy himself. That word, misericordiae in Latin, literally means 
a heart that gives to those in misery. You want to know who Jesus is? That's who Jesus is. He is the heart who gives to all of us in the misery that is caused by our sins. So then, he forgives her. Is anyone here to condemn you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. He could have. It's his right as God to condemn sin. But Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world. St. Paul says it well. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to you and to me to save us precisely from our sins, not to condemn us, but to save us. So that's great. Jesus defends and he forgives. And that's the end of the story, right? She just gets to walk away saved. Not quite. Because this next move is crucial and it's one that our culture doesn't want to hear. He challenges her. He doesn't just say, neither do I condemn you. Have a nice day. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that's our Lord, the one who defends us, who forgives us, but who also challenges us because we need that challenge. Otherwise, it's cheap grace. Otherwise, his mercy doesn't really matter. But he challenges us just as he challenges her. See, he's both comforting and challenging. He's both consoling and convicting. And Jesus has the perfect balance of understanding and expectation. Understanding and expectation. He understands her. He loves her right where she is, understanding. And he expects something from her. He loves her too much to let her stay there. Expectation. A perfect balance. I know you're caught in your sin. I know all the things that led you to that, all the choices that you made. I understand. But I expect more because you're made for more. That message is for you and for me tonight. He understands. And in that, we can be very honest and very humble. He understands. But then he expects. He expects us to move beyond that. He has a perfect balance of freedom and responsibility. See, his mercy sets her free. I don't condemn you. I saved you from all your accusers. You're free to go. And he calls her to responsibility. Go and sin no more. See, our culture just wants understanding and freedom, but nothing to do with expectation and responsibility. And that's disastrous in the spiritual life, and it's disastrous in your normal life. It's just a disaster to expect understanding at every turn that everyone will just accept you with all your faults and failures and no one would ever expect something more from you. That everyone would just acknowledge your freedom. You're free to do whatever you want. But no one would ever call you to responsibility for your life and for the choices that you make. 
See, Jesus doesn't do either of those extremes without the other. It's a perfect balance, understanding and expectation, freedom and responsibility. It's not cheap grace. See, God doesn't want to condemn us. He wants to save us. But saving means that we're justified in his grace. And justification means that things are set right. So God wants to set things right in your heart and in mine tonight. Tonight, not down the road, not when you're 30 or 40 or 60, but tonight, because his mercy is here and now. And to set things right, he has to enter into everything in us that's wrong. I'm going to say that again. To set things right, he has to enter into everything that's in us that is wrong. And so we have to be willing to let him in. Because he does stand at the door and knock. It requires great honesty. It requires a deep trust in our Lord, a one-on-one encounter where we don't hide behind slogans or generalities, where we meet our Lord personally. And he who knows everything about us can understand us in our faults and our failings and expect that we can respond to his grace because we are hardwired for it. St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You've made us for yourself. We're hardwired to be reconciled to God. We can't find peace apart from him. And just as Jesus was in the gospel for this woman, he is for us. He's the one who defends us, who forgives us, who challenges us. He loves us right where we are, and he loves us too much to let us stay there. So tonight, my friends, may we allow him to meet us in truth and then move us to a new place of encounter with him, to meet us in his mercy and move us in his holiness.